0: Welcome to the fifth episode of Cuttings from the Garden of English. Words just want to have fun. As babies, we are introduced to the playful aspects of language, with many words we first hear consisting of simple repetition. Yum yum, poo poo, wee wee, pee pee, bye bye, choo choo, dadda, night night. As adults, we might use blah blah blah, yada yada yada, goody goody, hubba hubba. Rhyming doubles are very much a part of our language, too. Mumbo-jumbo, hocus-pocus, hanky-panky, higgledy-piggledy, willy-nilly, silly-billy, hippy-dippy, fuddy-duddy, easy-peasy, hoity-toity, roly-poly, nitty-gritty, razzle-dazzle, rumpy-pumpy, namby-pamby, helter-skelter, fancy-schmancy, artsy-fartsy. It's certainly not a new process, we come across hurly-burly, referring to the clamour of war, in the opening scene with the witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth over 400 years ago. Paul Simon's 1975 song, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, plays around similarly with, Just slip out the back, Jack. Make a new plan, Stan. You don't need to be coy, Roy. Hop on the bus, Gus. Just drop off the key, Lee. Much more recent examples include... Chick flick, shock jock, hot shot, Fitbit. Also common are doubles with only one vowel change: shilly shally, dilly dally, sing song, ning nong, chit chat, zigzag, wishy washy, mishmash, tittle tattle, tip top, flim flam, flip flops, pitter patter, hip hop, fiddle faddle. Notice how, in all these examples, the vowel in the first word is made with a more closed mouth than the vowel in the second word. A natural sound rule seems to be operating here. Rhyming is there too, in some friendly colloquial expressions, where the rhyming second word is all but nonsensical, supplied just for the rhyme of it. See you later, alligator. In a while, crocodile. What's up, buttercup? No way, Jose. That childlike delight in rhyming is especially evident in certain limericks that appear to have been written purely to explore challenging rhymes. Take this one by American Ogden Nash. A wonderful bird is the pelican. His bill can hold more than his belly can. He can hold in his beak enough food for a week, but I'm damned if I see how the hell he can. Or this one I came across, which also plays cleverly on the sound of the key place name. There was an old man from Nantucket who kept all his cash in a bucket. His daughter, called Nan, ran away with a man. And as for the bucket, Nantucket. This sort of wordplay, where sound is the vital element, is at the heart of the entertaining creation of strine in the 1960s. Strine is a phonetic rendering of the word Australian, spoken rapidly with a broad Aussie accent, its normal three or four syllables compressed into one, strine. In rendering this language he called strine, author Alastair Morrison recasts the intended words into puzzling but vaguely plausible other words based purely on sound. On the same principle, he gives himself the name you read on the cover of any of his books, alphabic lauder. Now listen to it spoken quickly, alphabetical lauder, and you can hear a compressed rendering of alphabetical order. Likewise, you've probably no idea what an eggnishner is. Imagine a voice message from an Aussie friend telling you she just bought a new Egnishna. You'd be wondering what Anishina could do for eggs, with eggs, on eggs. But she'd actually bought an air conditioner. It's a common feature of continuous speech that a voiceless consonant, here k, often becomes voiced to here g, when it comes between two vowels, which are always voiced. In the same way as voiceless t is often voiced between two vowels as d in the saying city rather than city, better, rather than better. But so influenced are we by spelling that most educated people are loath to believe that they would pronounce words in this sloppy way. Lauder did the same for upper-class British English speech, which he called Fraffly, F-R-A-F-F-L-Y, a a posh, rapid-rendering, of frightfully fraffly. Eggs figure again in the voice message from your posh English friend replying to your rant about falling standards, telling you egg wettergree, sounding rather like egg wettergree. This is fraffly for I quite agree, egg wettergree. Such entirely normal speech habits where the sounds in a word are influenced by surrounding sounds, regardless of spelling, are definitely an argument against insisting on phonetic spelling of English. Clear communication in writing would then be as difficult as it sometimes is in speaking, but they do make for some fun. Two more playful examples of mucking about with the sounds of words. Why has May the 4th been declared Star Wars Day? Some bright spark saw the appropriateness of this date. It enables fans to pun on, May the force be with you. What do essay, excess, envy, empty and decay have in common? Much easier to solve by listening than reading. Essay, excess, envy, empty and decay. yes. Each two-syllable word contains the names of two letters in our alphabet. S-A, X-S, N-V, M-T, and D-K. No doubt you can think of a couple more. We have seen before how prolific affixation is in word creation in English, the adding of prefixes and suffixes, even infixes such as in fan-bloody-tastic or Eliza Doolittle's abso bloomin in My Fair Lady. And so, we all know several prefixes which negate or weaken the meaning of words. Impossible, illegal, irresponsible, unpatriotic, insufficient, dishonest, asymptomatic, misunderstand, nonsense to name some of them. And because we are so familiar with affixation, it occasionally happens that a new word is created through an understandable error in interpreting the original. This happened with the lovely word disgruntled, an old word in English meaning discontented, annoyed. It was originally gruntled, and the prefix dis was added as an intensifier, as happens in disemboweled. However, by analogy with discontented, it was mistakenly assumed that dis was a negative prefix, and thus there was a new positive word gruntled coined about a hundred years ago to mean contented, pleased, centuries after the original word, which had the opposite meaning. And so, verbal play may be a matter of removing a prefix or a humorously assertive prefix, and creating a new word with the reverse meaning. Abstract. Having conservative taste, Jane preferred stract art. Angelic. Cruella gave the Dalmatian pups a jellic smile. Antiquated. Tired of old furniture... Luna redecorated with quated pieces. Counterfeit. Steve's engraving was so good, the banknotes looked feat. Demolish. In his spare time, Bob the Builder would demolish a house of cards. Immune. It turned out that Snow White was immune to poisoned apple. Nonchalant. The husband acted so chullent that the police suspected him at once. You might enjoy doing the same with words such as ungainly, nonplussed, inert, dismayed. Another way to explore the possibilities of words lies in the imaginative creations of new words for instantly recognisable people, things, behaviours for which no dictionary word exists. Rich Hall in the eighties coined the term sniglets for these, and some have since been added to the dictionary. Australian Richard Glover's two thousand four Dags Dictionary also uses words of this kind. Here are some snigglets that take my fancy Nagavator a spouse who sits beside the driver of a car and criticizes their driving profanotype symbols used by cartoonists to replace swear words rap rage beginning with a w furious frustration from trying to open a new factory sealed item lubri beginning with l o o reading material within reach of the toilet mouse arrest a punishment whereby you are forbidden the use of the computer. Stupidity. Wearing ridiculously uncomfortable shoes just because you think they look good. Dork with a double O. One who always pushes on a door marked pull or vice versa. Hydroelastics. The strange way people walk into the sea when the water is cold, trying to make their body taller to delay the moment the water hits the stomach. Hope couture. The item of clothing you keep for years in the hope that you might fit back into it someday. Conversely, the creative fun is seen in a new definition of an existing word, after consideration of its separate elements, its sound, its similarity to another word, its other possible meanings, its connotations, its humorous or satirical possibilities, such definitions have been called definitions. Barbed wire. A sarcastic telegram. Berets. What French people put in fruit tarts. Bigamist, an Italian fog. Bragging, the patter of tiny feet. Tomorrow, a great labour saving device for today. Shinbone, a device for finding furniture in a dark room. Flabbergasted, Appalled over how much weight you have gained. Abdicate. To give up all hope of ever having a flat stomach. Willy-nilly. Impotent. Calories. Little creatures that live in your wardrobe and sew your clothes a bit tighter each night. Lymph. To walk with a lisp. Gargoyle. Olive-flavoured mouthwash. Boulder Dash. A rapidly receding hairline. Testicle. A humorous question in an exam. Committee. A body that keeps minutes and wastes hours. Dictionary. The only place where divorce comes before marriage. Hangover. The Wrath of Grapes. Optimist. A person who smells smoke and gets out the marshmallows. Yawn. An honest opinion openly expressed. Trifle. A small gun. Teenager. One whose hang-ups do not include clothes. Suburbia where they cut down trees and put in streets named after them. Secret. News you reveal to one person at a time. Heirloom. A dead giveaway. The connotations of words, the feelings and ideas they suggest, are what inspire metaphors. Many collective nouns more honoured in the pleasure of creation, I suspect, than in widespread use, delight in playing with connotations so that we have an exaltation of larks, an ostentation of peacocks, an embarrassment of parents, an attitude of teenagers, a brace of orthodontists, a gush of sycophants, a gross of pornographers... A competition run by the Washington Post required entrants to take any word from the dictionary, alter it by adding, subtracting, or changing only one letter, and then supply a definition of the new creation. Ozone. Add a B. Bozone. The layer surrounding stupid people that stops bright ideas from penetrating. Graffiti. Add an I. Giraffiti. Street art, spray-painted very, very high. Addict. Add an S. Sadict. One who thrives on misery. Digital. Change the D to an F. Fidgetal. Excessively checking one's digital devices. Inoculate double the T, inoculate, to take coffee intravenously when you are running late. Angst, add a B, bankst, stress over diminishing funds. Castration, add an H, castration, the act of buying a house which renders the buyer financially impotent for an indefinite period. Beelzebub, change the final B to a G. Beelzebug, Satan in the form of a mosquito that gets into your bedroom at 3am and cannot be cast out. Ambiguous, change the I to an A. Ambiguous, a female state of indecision about just which handbag to wear. Then there are words that suggest, when you are in fanciful mode, the existence of other words somewhere in the background. You may be downtrodden. Would it be any better to be uptrodden? Most of us use shampoo on our hair in preference to real poo. Is a stopwatch different from a startwatch? If something gruesome is so horrible, why isn't it grew plenty? If you win the tennis doubles competition rather than the tri-nations rugby, is that a bi rather than a triumph? English is a wonderful language to play around with. Its huge vocabulary borrowed from a wide variety of languages, its many synonyms and homophones, its multiplicity of affixes, its flexibility in using words as various parts of speech, its sheer wildness of spirit, All are enticing factors when words just want to have fun.